Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 25 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I am so excited about today's episode. I had the opportunity to join Tom Vega, who is a leadership coach and change consultant who's trained in the areas of strategic management and leadership effectiveness. He offers and teams a complete continuum of skills and solutions in areas of relationship management, process improvement, problem solving, change awareness, as both deployment and sustainment training and execution. He does this by combining emotional awareness techniques with contemporary change and process analysis methods that other folks might not even be aware of. If you are out there and you're struggling with people at your table who are not fully engaged or maybe they're tough to work with, I really think this episode will help you out. Um, I can't wait for you to listen. And if you find this episode helpful, please consider helping us get the word out by sharing it with a friend or a colleague. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Tom Vega. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. I'm so excited to have you on, Tom. We've been talking about having you on for quite a while. Um, I met you first uh, at a event by the Massachusetts Prevention Alliance, and they're a group that's working to help prevent young people from using marijuana, but you do so much more than just uh, prevention. I've read your website all about the leadership things you do, so I'm really excited for our audience to uh, hear about you. So why don't we just jump in and have you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure, sure, sure. So um, currently uh, I work for uh, a company called the Hartford. Uh, I do a lot of uh, management consulting uh, here in the insurance industry. I do a lot of emotional intelligence uh, work. Um, on behalf of the company, but all that skill, you know, all these skill sets that we talk about, that we that we may talk about today, uh, certainly apply to real life and, and real world experiences. Um, I'm a child of the '80s. I grew up in New York City, uh, doing the, the crazy, wild drug wars of the 1980s in the South Bronx. Uh, so, um, either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, I, I do have a lot of experience with uh, the cause and effect of, of drug use. Uh, amongst a, a broad spectrum of people. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about my, my, my background. And so today I like to raise awareness uh, locally in Deerfield where I live, Deerfield, Massachusetts. Um, you know, I speak out at local events there, raising awareness about substance abuse and, and, and the risks associated with aligning, aligning ourselves to certain industries. And I do this, this kind of same thing with um, the Massachusetts Prevention Alliance. Um, you know, help to raise donations, help to put communications together, bills together, uh, things on that spectrum. Uh, so it, it, you know, it all revolves around my passion for um, raising awareness and really put, trying, trying my best to educate people on predatory businesses that might pop up and, and trying to exploit uh, vulnerable populations. That's fascinating. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience. Um, I know that you've been doing a little bit of that work 
Um, tell us how you got involved in that in the first place and some of the things that you've been able to help with. Yeah, uh, so like I said before earlier on, just um, saw a lot of um, you know drug raids as a kid uh, in New York City. My family personally um, has been affected by uh, alcohol and substance abuse um, issues. I've lost family members uh, to substance abuse um, um, scenarios, unfortunately, uh, in my lifetime. And so, you know, I'm a, I think I'm an example of someone who really learned by observation, learned through observation. Um, and so, um, when I, you know, when I started to see uh, legislation occur on the marijuana uh, initiative, I think that was a really true passionate trigger for me to say, you know, I'm sitting on a lot of useful what I thought was, you know, what I consider useful information, useful perspectives. I think I need to get up out of the chair uh, and start talking to some people and shaking some hands as much as I can uh, to raise awareness around this. Um, because now I, you know, as, a, as the father of a 16-year-old, um, looking at some of the decisions that our leaders, you know, our, our municipal leaders, our, our high-level political leaders were making, I knew I had to get more involved politically uh, and bring my skill set, my experience, you know, to the forefront and really put it to good use. So uh, I took what I learned from work. I took what I learned from my, ex my personal experiences, uh, and I continue to expand on that knowledge, you know, every day and continue to raise awareness. So that's what, that's how I got involved is through personal tragedy, if you will, uh, combined with just, you know, having um, a knowledge and a skill set and a network of resources where I felt I could make a difference. When you talk about um, just your knowledge and your skill set and the things that you were able to bring to the table, what kind of things are you seeing as uh, the skills that you have being the most helpful when it comes to this kind of work? Oh, that's a great question. So I look at uh, influence, influencing techniques. I look at um, methods of persuasion and just learning about those and seeing how effective things can be to convince someone that something is good for them or to convince someone um, to act or vote against their own interests. Um, and so over the last, I'll say three years, uh, it's really blown my mind uh, in a way. It surprised me uh, how organizations or how businesses or marketing techniques work to get people to vote against their own interests. And so you know, what I did was over the last three years was kind of expand on my knowledge and my skill set. And I'm like, all right, what, ex what, methods, what methods of persuasion are they using here? How can I learn from that? And how can I use, how can I apply the same methods or the, the same techniques to make people think twice about some of, some of their uh, attitudes, opinions, and decision-making, or even voting stances, for example? And how can I, what can we do to persuade that, uh, to persuade them to think differently about the things they're being told um, by a, a politician, uh, a, a predatory practice, if you will. Uh, how can I raise awareness of that? And how can I take that uh, to counter the things that are happening to a vulnerable population? Even if they're not aware of it, even if they, even if they uh, disagree and argue against some of the things that I talk about, um, I think it's more important that, they, that these things are out there for discussion than it is to get a, uh, an agreement in some examples. So, you know, I, the popular topics for me when I, when I think about that question is uh, really influence techniques and methods of persuasion, uh, things like that are two examples of things that I really try to talk about and emphasize with folks. 
That's fascinating. You also mentioned um, emotional intelligence, and uh, I know some folks have heard of that, but I know a lot of others have never even heard of that concept. Maybe you could explain that and just how that plays into the decisions and working with people and, um, you know, working with groups. Yeah, so emotional intelligence is, is to me, is, is how we affect each other. I gave a seminar uh, this past April on that to a group of paralegals here in Hartford. Um, and I really talked about um, the words we use, um, finding the courage to, to speak up uh, and really drawing upon our self-awareness of what we're feeling in a moment and how do we use that to protect our self-esteem, to not accept the status quo, so to speak, and to speak kindly and respectfully about how we feel in a given moment in a given situation. Um, and so, um, you know, I gave, I gave a, a, a nice, you know, hour-long seminar. Actually, it was, it was two different groups. It was two hours on that. And I really talked about, I, look, I talked about emotional intelligence from the perspective of self-preservation uh, to a group of, of people who asked me, who described, you know, themselves as, hey, you know, sometimes we're, we're, we're not as compassionate as we could be um, with each other, and, and, and that has an effect on, on work. Um, and when we have a poor experience at work, sometimes we bring that home. What can we do around that? So really what I talked about in regards to emotional intelligence is I gave them a little bit of history uh, on that. I talked a little bit about uh, the different dimensions, about self-awareness and, um, and things like that. Um, and how do you use some of these skill sets in the context of um, really protecting your self-esteem and really uh, articulating to others, whether they're your boss or whether they're your peer, how you feel about a situation in, in a given moment. Uh, and some of the responses I, used, I was getting from the crowd were, you know, what do I do when somebody says this to me? Um, and what do I do when somebody throws shade my way and I know what they're talking about? You know? And so um, first and foremost, I said, acknowledge what's being said. Acknowledge you know, how, how that makes you feel. And I, and I, you know, I used uh, an example of a dagger being, being thrown and how, you know, it, you know, it stings long after it's been thrown. Uh, and so I said, you, you know, you really want to communicate what you're feeling, build that self-awareness. And, and conversely, when somebody says something to you, you don't have to react to that immediately. Take a few seconds to process, allow yourself to kind of um, surf that wave of impulse to react negatively and just really ask why someone may, you know, ask someone, why would they say something like that? Or, hey, what, what brought you to that conclusion? And really respectfully challenge assumptions being made uh, by asking the, some right questions that aren't going to trigger apprehension. Um, and so that, you know, that is, was the crux of emotional intelligence uh, for me and, and for my audience in the context of what they were looking for. They were like, how do we communicate, you know, how we're feeling in, in a workplace environment that doesn't value emo emotions that much? Mm -hmm. And that's tough kinda, because people feel boxed in. No, I was going to say, I can kind of see this play out. I was just in a meeting a little while ago and, um, as part of coalition building, you have to have all the different sectors of the community in the room to talk about um, preventing substance use. And what I've seen happen over and over again is a different, a certain sector, like let's say it's the school will be in the room and you'll have parents just saying things like, oh, if the school did this, that, and the other thing, 
then, you know, my child wouldn't have these problems. And there becomes a lot of tension in the room because people are placing blame on a different sector. And oftentimes I've seen like school leaders really shut down and just not really want to participate or offer a whole lot of information because they feel Mm. like every time they're in the room that people are going to pick apart the school and talk about all the issues the school has. So what would you say to the different people in the room, uh, you know, when there's that kind of dynamic going on and and you need these people all to work together to, to work on this issue? Yeah, I think it, I think that the, I think the first thing I would I would think about is let's bring everything out onto the table. Let's talk about how we're feeling and, and ask where that comes from. Um, you know, that's that's the first thing that that kind of comes to mind. Um, you know, maybe uh, can we agree to share relevant information? Can we agree to be honest with each other? Uh, ask ask your questions. Uh, and and you know, one of the best pieces of advice I give. Uh, to people in that situ to, in that situation, especially if you're a facilitator of 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 that group, is if you're going to ask a question, we want to ask it in a way that's non-judgmental, and we also want to explain why we're asking the question to help diffuse or de-escalate something that somebody might be feeling in that moment, um, so that people can feel a little bit more comfortable with being themselves. And you know, I would I would probably say the number one reason why people might get a might get a little um, apprehensive in a, in, a, in a circumstance like that in a moment like that is number one fear of judgment right mm-hmm. um and, and judging and judging my decisions or my position or my interest um and 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 having them internalize that they they make that a part of themselves almost a, almost physically um and if you're in that group environment i think it's more about judging the idea and not the person and and asking people to separate and so to separate themselves from their idea. Uh, and so if, it, you know, think about uh, putting your ideas in a book, right? Um, this is completely hypothetical, just to illustrate mm-hmm. the point. Imagine you take your ideas, you put them in a book, and then you put, the book, you put the book down on a table and you sit back in your seat. You are now separating yourself physically from your opinions and your interests. And so now the focus is on the book. Now it's about, all right, we're not here to judge you as a human being. We're here to really talk about and evaluate that idea, where it comes from, and what, are, what, would, what would our intentions be in communicating that and in sharing that and, and, and building, building upon that. Um, to me, that's, that's how I would try and make, um, create a comfortable environment uh, so we can have an honest conversation without people feeling like they personally are being judged. Um, people, you know, we all, we're all human beings. We all get our ideas from somewhere. We're not born with them. So let's talk about them. Let, look at where, you know, where did you learn this from? Where did you get the idea for this from? And start talking about the idea itself. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not sure if that gets yeah. to where, what no, you were looking good. for. Okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking like as a facilitator, when you talk about making sure that the people in the room feel comfortable sharing and feel like they can do that, are there certain things that you help facilitators learn to do or are there certain like strategies or activities or just different things that the facilitator can do to make the room feel more opening uh, open and inviting like that yeah yeah um you know again uh ei um to me it's about self-awareness self-management uh social awareness relationship management um the one of the best books i ever read on the subject was uh emotional uh, intelligence 2.0. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but 
particular book. I ran through the exercises, and it was by uh, doctors uh, Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves, and it has exercises in it, and it really does make the reader go through this kind of deep down look at themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a little scoring, as as you probably took it. I mean, there's it's a great resource because when you're done going through that book, and you don't even have to go through the entire book. Um, they guide you through the sections that um, that are of most interest to you um, based on your scoring. Uh, you pick out the areas of opportunity based on the scores and you work on those things and they give you the tools. I think the best thing about that particular book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, was that it was written in, in uh, honest, plain English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I felt, you know, I felt I could relate to it and, and, and connect with it a lot better. And it's the book that I use for my seminars uh, when I when I speak to audiences. That's really great. I was thinking so often um, just different members of the community will be resistant to talking about things like this. They'll say, oh, this is, you know, all touchy, feely, weird stuff. Uh, Can you speak into that a little bit and just how can somebody explain that this is necessary in order to help bring change? Like some of these things really are, are vital to incorporating into what we do. Yeah, so that strikes at the change management aspect of my role um, as a management consultant. So in business, uh, and right now I'm working in finance uh, with a finance team, that is very much the case, uh, Amanda. There's, there are leaders, senior executives here who will tell you there's no room, there's no place for <clears throat> excuse me, emotions in business. Um, and there's a cost to that. Uh, and so when I, when I, when I, and uh, come across a leader that uh, has that philosophy, uh, I let them know that there's a cost to that. There's a social cost and there's, a, there's an economic cost to having that position uh, and that opinion to that. Um, number one, people can't be themselves. Uh, they can't provide feedback that's necessary to maintain engagement, maintain the quality of our work, maintain you know, the timeliness of our work. All of that trickles down to things like cost and growth, which are word buzzwords that many executives like to hear. So the trick is uh, when you're in a situation like that, if you can connect what their interest is to the fact that, you know, um, we need to connect these to our emotions and how people are feeling and how it, how it relates to, you know, a business argument or how it relates to um, a community's argument uh, Mm -hmm. for change. I think if you can make that connection, I think you're. I think you, you should be well on your way. Um, and so, in my example with talking with senior executives, um, you know, I do talk about. Listen, when people feel like they're not heard, they don't feel like they're being valued. And when they feel like they're not being valued, they're going to go somewhere where they do feel valued. Um, and the other aspect of that is, you know, the higher up you go in your career, the less your role is to know the mechanics of your business, the role usually shifts more towards influence mm-hmm. and, and persuading on behalf of your staff. Your staff may look to you to support them, to defend them, right? And, to, you know, obviously to advocate for them. Right. Uh, if you want to keep this expertise uh, that we've hired, right, and trained and invested in, uh, that requires some emotional intelligence, which, which means creating a space for them to share how they feel about a, a particular topic without, without fear of judgment or repercussions. Yeah. And so the challenge, the challenge I make to executive leaders is, is can you do that? 
uh, leadership is a spectrum. It, it's, you know, on, on the left side, you have the transactional aspect of being a leader, which is making those transactional decisions to move the business along. And then as you move to the right-hand side of the spectrum, that's the relationship management part that requires compassion, empathy, active listening skills. Uh, those are the things that sometimes uh, we take for granted, we forget about uh, until it's too late. So true. In the coalition world, a lot of times people will be excited because, you know, they'll look at all the plans and everything on paper, but it takes people to make those things happen. And I find oftentimes like the hang up in a lot of coalitions is that the dynamic of the group in the room that they don't have that trust kind of thing happening in the room. Um, It's very much like your group does this and our group does that. So I I think it's powerful uh, when you explain to them that, you know, pushing through and helping build trust within the group, you know, at the end of the day, if we don't do this, more kids are going to use drugs uh, because we're not coming together and we're not uh, doing this effort as a whole group. We're too busy pointing fingers at different groups. Yeah, and I'll tell you another skill set that's going to help with that very same point is the art of storytelling. And so... Um, leaders should inspire, right? Uh, you might you might be the CEO, you might be um, uh, an executive uh, within a, a coalition, or you might be a community leader. Uh, one of the best attributes that you can have is your ability to tell a story in a way that captures people's attention and inspires them to take action. That is very different from the transactional things of, hey, I need you to, to do task A, B, and C. Um, People know how, most people know how to do the tasks and some folks will feel, will do it because they, they feel obligated to do it. But if you're leading a coalition, you, they sh- your, your, your support should be inspired. Um, there should be an emotional connection to the greater cause here. And that's the challenge for coalition leaders is how do I inspire uh, this, this mass group of people to follow me? And what would be my ask of them? And what should they be asking their audience members? Uh, and, so and, can we write, and can we write a story around that that's compelling enough to, to get people to want to take action? And that's why I joined MAPA, uh, because they gave me a story that was compelling. We shared mm-hmm. the same values, uh, and we, we shared the same intentions with raising awareness and taking, and taking action. So good. What do you think keeps people at the table? So I often see people, they'll come out initially for, you know, a cause they really believe in, but they don't stay at the table. Why do you think they leave and what, what can keep people coming and being at the table? Oh, boy, that could be any number of things. Uh, I work a 40-hour work week. Um, sometimes I have to call in. For some folks, it could be just life responsibilities, job, you know, job-related responsibilities. Um for others, uh, perhaps it's you know geography. Perhaps for others, I mean, there's any number of barriers. Um, and so, if we're talking about the mission itself, uh, do they see any outcomes? Is anything happening? Are we making any progress? Are we bickering amongst ourselves because we're not disciplined? Um, are we not structured in an effective manner? Um, those are all turnoffs. Yeah. Um, for donors, that's a huge turnoff. I'm not going to give money to an organization that can't define itself. I'm not going to mm-hmm. donate to an organization that's it doesn't have a really strong infrastructure. Um, 
And so any number of things can occur where, where people don't take action. Uh, what I've noticed lately is people don't know how. They don't know how to contribute. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not subject matter experts sometimes in law. They're not subject matter, subject matter experts on reading research reports. Um, but, they, but, you know, we don't have to use them in that capacity. We can, we can hire people for that. We, you know, it depends on what we're asking our members to do. And we don't want to ask too much of our members because they, they're passionate, um, they're willing to help out, but in many instances, they don't know how. They, don't, they may not have public speaking experience or skill set. Maybe we spend some time developing that. Um, they, may not, they may not know how to, you know, tell a good story that's compelling. Um, and, you know, part of that is knowing your audience as well. You know, uh, I think I, I work with, I've worked in the past uh, in my career with really smart, talented analysts that are great with numbers, but they can't tell a story. Uh, and so they shy away. They shy away from the mission because they don't want to be put in a position um, to have to tell a story uh, that, that they're not comfortable telling. So it could be any number of things. Uh, but yeah. what I've seen lately is really a, a, there's a gap in the skill set needed for some act, for certain types of activism in, organ, in organizing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. This has been, I can't even believe the time has gone by this fast. This has been a fascinating conversation. I hope that we have you on again uh, because I still have a whole other list of questions um, <laughs> to get to. Um, this has been really great, and I know it's going to be helpful to the leaders out there um, who are doing this kind of work. So I really appreciate your time, and um, I will definitely send out some notes, uh, put in the show notes the book that you listed, and um you know, type up some of that and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Just let me know anytime, anywhere. Um, and I'm happy to help wherever I can. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Amanda. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.